from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. The coronavirus outbreak, while first and foremost a humanitarian crisis, will have a substantial financial impact on credit unions and their members. While the extent of that impact isn't clear, CUNA Chief Economist Mike Shank says one approach will keep credit unions on the right track. Be flexible and continue to engage with and assist members to the best of your ability. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for CUNA News. I talked to Shank about the potential impact of the pandemic on the economy, credit unions, and consumers, lessons we can apply from the Great Recession, and more. What were your initial reactions to the pandemic and what would happen to the economy? Well, I don't think that there's any surprises in the in the way that we're viewing it. Obviously, we have a little bit of experience in terms of what's initially happened overseas, and so we're drawing from that. But we obviously believe that the economy will slow uh, significantly, that uh, there will be a large amount of disruption in people's lives, that the unemployment rate will drift up, that uh, people will be financially challenged. And because of that, credit unions will be financially challenged and uh, operationally challenged and uh, will need to rise to the occasion to ensure that their members are able to make it through okay. Do you have an idea of what the economic impact has been in China and whether that offers any hints to what we can expect here? Yeah, the numbers that I've seen are not very hopeful. In China, just recently, some data has come out suggesting that retail sales year over year in the first couple of months of 2020 declined by roughly 20%. That, uh, again, in January, February, year over year, industrial output dropped by about 14%. Fixed asset investment dropped by about 25%. And overall, the expectation is that the Chinese economy will contract by about 6% in the first quarter. What do you think the impact will be in the States? It's very hard to say. I mean, first of all, we're not actually sure from a medical perspective, from a general health perspective, what the extent of the challenge will be here, whether we will mirror what happened in China or, or whether the situation will be more severe than than what China has experienced. But I mean, what we can say is that the Chinese economy and the American economy are quite different in many respects. The Chinese economy depends a lot on uh, imports and exports, and the U.S. economy is more heavily tilted toward consumption activity. So the, the, the consumer sector and whether the consumer sector is engaged. And we can obviously say that given all the precautions that people are taking, that uh, consumers will not be as engaged as they have been in the recent past. Uh, That's really obvious. You can see it happening just looking out the window, fewer cars on the the streets, fewer people walking around. Again, from a public health perspective, people being instructed specifically not to interact as, as much as they have in the past. So our expectation is there will be a very noticeable slowdown in that activity overall, but whether or not it translates into something as severe as as what China has experienced, I think that the jury is still out on that. And there's really no way that we have of, of knowing exactly what the path will be. 
it will be a difficult path. There's no question about it. Do you have any projections for credit union lending and saving and delinquencies and, and other measures? CUNA economists, uh, along with the CUNA Mutual chief economist, were scheduled to meet this week to talk about our forecast and, uh, and to update the forecast. And so I would love to revisit that question with you in a couple of days, but I can just give you a, a general feeling for what I'm thinking and my part of the conversation going into that meeting. We had uh, a month or so ago forecast uh, a general slowdown in economic activity in 2020. The economy, the U.S. economy grew at a rate of about 2.3% in 2019. Our expectation, again, a month or so ago, was for the economy to slow and to grow at a rate of about 1.8%. At the moment, as I look at economic activity and knowing what I know today, I would suspect that the economy will contract in the second quarter and more than likely at a pretty significant rate. Now, I know a lot of people are interested in the answer to the question, will we have a recession? And I kind of feel like that's beside the point. Traditionally, we've defined recession as two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. We may sort of skirt that. I I mean, I think I just described more than likely a contraction in the second quarter. It's conceivable that by the third quarter, we're growing again. But the point is that even if we avoid recession, what we're about to go through and what we've started to go through will be felt by a lot of people. It will create a lot of difficulty and uh, dislocation. Many people will be out of work. Many people, as you know, live paycheck to paycheck, and they'll be faced with some pretty significant financial decisions. Do I make my rent payment? Can I pay the utility bills and so on and so forth. And so the the economy will not grow at 1.8% this year, as we originally forecast. That's pretty clear. More than likely, my guess is that we'll be growing at a rate somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, half percent to 1% when all is said and done in 2020. But again, you know, I'm not a medical expert and it's conceivable that, you know, this goes away for a couple months and then it comes right back. I don't think there's anybody that's in a position to to forecast that, but certainly it's not difficult to come up with scenarios where things get uh, even uglier than what I just described. The really good, I think, news, if you're looking for a silver lining on this, is that the U.S. economy, and especially the U.S. consumer, which represents 70% of economic activity, was in really good shape going into this downturn. So the unemployment rate, as you know, was near a 50-year low, and incomes were rising faster than inflation had been for several years. Asset values were increasing, so home values at the moment, even on an inflation-adjusted basis, are higher than they were during the last peak as the uh, housing bubble formed back in 2006 and 7. So those house values are back, and basically, about two-thirds of households have an ownership interest in real estate. So that's a big deal. Now, there's been a lot of volatility in the stock market and valuations are down significantly, but we're still above where we were four years ago. So the stock market is down a lot. People do notice it. It affects 401ks. It affects wealth. But in the broad scheme of things, if you're looking at you know 10 or 20 years of history, Uh, The current valuations, even though they're down so far, are generally speaking supportive of a consumer sector that 
will remain or could remain engaged. The other side of the balance sheet is also instructive. If we look at debt levels in the household sector, those have been trending down for the last 10 years. During the formation of the real estate bubble, the debt to income ratio in the United States for the average household came in at about 125%. We're down close to 90% today. That's roughly a 20 plus year low in that debt ratio. And according to the Federal Reserve, the debt payment burden, so the monthly amount that households have to put out in order to satisfy their their monthly debt obligations is at the moment at an all-time low. The Fed's been studying this since 1980 or thereabouts. So the lowest level since 1980. And of course, with low interest rates, interest rates now near zero, that'll mean mortgage refinancings and all variable rate credit that declines, basically the rates will decline and um, that will make that debt payment burden even more manageable for the average household. So with asset values that are actually pretty decent in the broad scheme of things on the one hand and liability or debt burdens quite low, that means that household wealth at the moment still is quite high from a broad historical perspective. And most credit unions have uh, healthy balance sheets and a strong capital position. How do you think they should use that strong financial position to weather this storm and to help members do the same? From an income perspective, the uh, most recent data that we have from the NCUA call report data shows that uh, ROA, net income as a percentage of average assets, is near cyclical highs. The net worth ratio in the aggregate is very close to cyclical highs and very close to all-time highs, actually. Uh, And so you're right, both from a balance sheet and an income statement standpoint, on average, credit unions are in great shape. Now, there's a lot of variation in those numbers, and smaller credit unions are tend to be more financially challenged than lar- their larger counterparts. But in general, again, looking at the recent past, credit unions are collectively in a good position as we enter this challenging period of time. And what that means, I think, especially in the context of a couple things. One, what we've been going through and what we're about to continue to go through, more than likely going to be short-lived. So we think, you know, three or four months down the line, we will start to see a pretty significant return toward normal. And what that means is that it's not a long-term shock necessarily, we don't think, at least that's probably our baseline expectation. And then number two, the challenges are not something that have been caused by mismanagement or lack of planning or lack of oversight on the part of credit union management. So putting all of that together, I think, is a really clear indication that credit unions are in a good position, number one, and number two, should respond simply by letting capital do its work, continuing to engage with members, continuing to help members to the extent you can. And what that might mean is rather than trying to keep earnings levels up, rather than trying to continue to build capital, that you allow the capital position to take a little bit of the hit. You allow earnings to come down a little bit in order to keep serving people and maybe even rising to a new level of service. That is the sort of behavior that we experienced in the wake of the Great Recession, and it paid huge dividends for credit unions. That general approach is something that we can from a financial perspective, embrace. And certainly our members would like to see that sort of behavior. 
What other lessons do you think we can apply from the Great Recession in terms of how we respond to this crisis? Well, a couple of things come to mind. It's really important. You know, most credit unions are viewed by their members as trusted financial partners. And so what that means is we're not simply in a position of taking a leadership role when it comes to managing finances, but we're also in a position to take a leadership role from a communications and messaging standpoint to serve as sort of the voice of reason, to help members cut through all the clutter and the noise that exists in the media and in social media, to help them better understand the extent of the crisis and what they ought to do to protect themselves. Again, not just financially, but from a health perspective as well. Our members will be looking for that sort of advice. So I think what it means is, in addition to coming to the table with a variety of products and services that might help them get through the next couple of months, it's also really, really important to understand that they're looking to us for communication and communicating a lot is probably a good thing in an environment characterized by uncertainty and volatility. I think that it's very important for us to help to manage expectations. Again, not just from a financial perspective, although that's really important. You know, As members come to us, it may not be possible for us to have the same level of service face-to-face in a lobby. Maybe that uh, depending on you know, the circumstances, we feel like our members and our employees are much better off if people are urged to either use technology or go through the drive-ups. And that sort of thing may be the sort of adjustment to behavior that a lot of people at first resist or react negatively to. But explaining to people why you're making operational changes to the extent you are, the rationale behind those changes and how, you know, when all is said and done, they're being instituted to uh, not only protect employees, but to protect the members themselves. So um, communicating, managing expectations, and then being flexible adopting different behaviors, adapting to change as those changes become obvious and as more information becomes available. You referenced earlier the Fed's rate cut and how we're getting close to 0% for the federal funds rate. What does this mean for credit unions and members? Financially, from credit unions, it means that uh, net interest margin is going to be under a lot of pressure. We've lived through now five consecutive years, I think it is, that net interest margins have actually gone up. And that's about to change. And the reason we think it's about to change, actually a couple of factors come into play. Number one, we believe that asset and savings growth is going to be quite strong and loan growth will be relatively weak in the midst of all of this uncertainty. And so there's going to be a mix-related effect associated with what's going on with our financials. And we're going to see investment portfolios growing relatively quickly. The plain fact of the matter is that most investments that are short-term and safe and kind of liquid are going to be yielding very close to zero. So that mix-related effect will have an influence on our bottom line results. And then obviously the rate-related effect with rates near zero will also come into play. That means net interest margin is going to come down. And again, this is part of the reason that we're saying be careful with how you respond, because I think for most board members, especially the inclination, the natural inclination is to protect the financial health of the institution. And that certainly comes into play, but for a short-term event and starting from a a position of strength, you don't want to be in a position where you're just protecting the financials 
at the risk of alienating members or putting members at risk. What are the potential long-term effects to credit unions and the financial services industry in general? The good news is that if credit unions behave as they did in the wake of the Great Recession, and if they stay engaged, I believe that the long-term effect will be more loyal members and more non-members who become members. That's certainly what we experienced coming out of the Great Recession. We had four or five years of consecutive membership growth above 4%. Four million people annually joining credit unions or thereabouts. Substantial increases in credit union membership driven in large part by the way we treated people in the context of and against the backdrop of the way the for-profit sector reacted during the Great Recession, licking its wounds, turning people away, and protecting the interests of shareholders, not customers. So I believe that even though it's a huge humanitarian crisis, and there will be, from a human point of view, a lot of negative effects to begin with in the short term, And some of those effects, you know, just losing your job for a short period of time can be traumatic for a long period of time. So I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But the good news is that if we stay true to who we are as financial cooperatives, I think that the long-term benefits will outweigh any long-term costs. How long do you think the turmoil in the stock market will continue? Do you have any sense for that? Well, I don't know anybody that can project how the stock market's going to perform. But what I can say is that the volatility and the turmoil that you're wondering about is driven by uncertainty. And so to the extent we have uncertainty in the marketplace, to the extent we have uncertainty, not just in the financial marketplace, but generally speaking, we're going to see volatility. And part and parcel, I think, with that idea is the idea that leadership at the moment is sending a lot of mixed signals that our political leaders have not aligned on their messaging. And with the lack of alignment and the lack of solid leadership on this, it feels to me like people are sort of left to their own devices. And that's why there's been so much chatter on social media and so forth that tends to make people even more worried and um, leads to negative consequences. So to the extent We can reduce uncertainty to the extent we can get that messaging aligned and deliver a narrative that is realistic and understandable and trustworthy. That'll be a key. So if you were a credit union CEO, what would your plan of action be? Well, as I say, I think flexibility is the key. Helping people to the extent that you can is really, really important, whether that means things like offering low interest or no interest short-term loans, skip a payment loan kind of thing, reaching out to people to help them understand that if they can, they really should probably be building savings a little bit to weather the storm, thinking about things like whether or not you can afford to waive various fees, and uh, certainly communicating with members on access to technology, how to use it, We have a lot of members that don't take advantage of the terrific technology that we already have. Being out there explaining to people how to use it, getting them engaged with technology so that they can interact more effectively, all of that will be really, really important. 
on a more personal level, uh, you travel a lot for work. What's it like uh, for you being home a lot more often now? Well, I love being with my family. No question about that. But uh, the thing that I do miss is that when I'm out on the road traveling, I'm having close interactions with member credit unions and actually hearing the frontline stories, their unique challenges, and more importantly, the ideas that they've come up with to meet some of those challenges. So normally I have sort of unfettered access to all of that uh, information, and uh, that's very helpful because I can uh, effectively share it. So it's a little bit harder for me to do that now. But I, I mean, one thing that all CUNA members should understand is that our advocacy folks and our comms folks, the communication team, they're working overtime to help credit unions better weather this storm. So we're engaged with the CFPB. We're engaged with the NCUA. We are engaged with uh, the Federal Reserve to uh, help to ensure that regulatory authorities, and then again on the Hill as well, to ensure that regulatory authorities and policymakers on the Hill are doing whatever they can to make credit union operations in this environment easier, to make it easier to interact with members and to help members as they need it. And so looking for forbearance, uh, looking for access to products and services that have been difficult for credit unions to access in the past. Those are all things that we're concerned about and that we're communicating with policymakers about. And our comms team has put out a survey where we're collecting stories on what credit unions are doing to help their members. And again, a perfect way for us to engage with the membership, to help them understand what their peers are doing, and to uh, sort of cross-pollinate and help them understand that uh, there are a lot of good ideas in the marketplace today and um, a lot of good news stories, how credit unions are engaged in helping folks. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.